The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Um, Jamie's at football practice. I came to see you. Can I come in? I need to apologize to you for a lot. It's fine. You like Jamie more, it happens. I was just surprised, you know, I thought you and I were really connecting. Richard, I was dishonest with you from the start. I'm not really into the whole environment thing. Watching that movie on industrial meat production just gave me a craving for Kobe sliders. Why didn't you say something? Good morning, London. It's Thursday, December 3rd, 2009. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Bond. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now till noon. That's till noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and welcome to the show today, where we have a single theme for today's show, and that is what should be the biggest story in the news, and that's Climate Gate. Don't you agree, Robert? Oh, definitely, Bob. Um, you know, everybody's talking about Tiger Woods, <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that's the big story in everybody's mind, but really, this is the story, and of course, uh, supporters of the whole uh, belief that man is responsible for the increase in climate, they're, they're still at 72%, believe it or not. There, there's more believers than non-believers, so they're not going to like our show today. Well, that's fine by I'll me. I'll tell you that right off I'm the bat. I'm not here to make friends. <laughs> 519-661-3600 if you want to call and complain at what we're about to tell you today. You know, it was like that opening clip. I was dishonest with you from the start. I'm not really into that environmental thing, as she says. Well, that's exactly what the whole environmental movement is all about. Dishonesty from the start. And I want to point out that, Robert, you and I, we haven't talked about this issue yet since you've joined the show. No. Have we? Not, no. no. But, uh, you know, this was almost, this almost became a single theme for me on the show. And you know how many complete broadcasts I've devoted to this issue alone? Uh, 20 out of the 131 that we're counting today. You should just change the name of the show to the Climate Gate Show. Well, maybe. <laughs> but, um, and in all of those hours, plus you can add to that, I think I had another 11 shows, yes, where I, where I, where I devoted about, you know, a quarter to half of the show to this theme. Plus, my very first two times I ever did uh, radio by myself live on the air here at CH CHRW was when... Uh, I sat in for Jim Chapman twice, and I, that was what I did then, too, and I drew all the proper conclusions the very first time I even investigated the issue. And in all of those hours, if you added them all up together, end to end, uh, 20, say, say 30 hours of me talking just on this one issue, never repeated a point once, never played the cl same clip, uh, you know, m more than once, and uh, have still have not run out of information to indicate just how great this scandal is it's just it's just unbelievable to oh. what depth i have yet to hear a single fact that supports the al gore side you know bob this oh we've this. got a caller already let's, let's let's listen to what the caller says robert hello caller hi how you doing not too bad good um i'm just uh, calling to agree with you guys uh, i'm actually i've been a climate skeptic for a long uh, i wouldn't say a long time but uh, i've kind of been um i wasn't 
adhere to all the media hoopla and kind of um, the universal agreement that climate change is man-made. And um, I just, this has just uh, kind of been an aha moment uh, for all the other people that have kind of doubted me and kind of uh, um, insulted my credibility on terms of this topic. So why, I, uh, why? I thank you guys for, for bringing this up. I'm, I'm curious, why, why do you think your friends are, are insulting you? Uh, you know what, it's something, it's a, it's a universal agreement that the media has portrayed. Uh, it's, it's fairly easy to um, jump on the bandwagon that all of our uh, carbon emissions are uh, causing this. It's fairly, very easy to pass off onto the public as, as a truth. Uh, though I'm not saying that uh, man has not made this earth uh, any, any more harmful or um, the way it is. I think we should do a lot to kind of curb our um, our way of life in terms of in terms of waste and uh, the way we conduct ourselves in terms of renewable energy. But I wasn't 100% sure that CO2 was uh, in direct correlation between climate change. Interesting comments. Uh, but thanks for calling. It's interesting you already agree with us before we've even stated our case. <laughs> yeah. No, no. As soon as, as soon as the show came on, I was uh, I had to call. Well, listen. But, uh, yeah, make sure you, make sure you tell those friends who are picking on you to check out the website www.justrightmedia.org where they can listen to this stuff. They can just hear right we don't we don't just play one side of the debate as you'll yes. hear later on today and you'll hear just evidence upon evidence upon evidence upon evidence to show what a fraud this whole thing is from the very beginning. And by the way, as I covered on the show too, this was planned. This whole thing was planned before the Vietnam War. The yes, whole green I, I campaign. That. I saw that a little bit of that okay yeah um what do you think of that robert thanks for calling by the way i think it's a silent majority talking here um a lot of people don't want to go against the grain go against the flow of what apparently is a tacit agreement by the society that you know humans are causing uh, global warming and it's 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 telling when somebody comes out and says, my friends are sort of ostracizing me because of my views. I think a large part of it is that people are just swallowing what they see in, in the popular media, meaning the mainstream mm-hmm. larger papers. Even the National Post, which, ha- which is, is strongly opposed to the whole concept of global warming, still runs myriads of articles as if it were not the case. You know, just yeah. things you got to do for green and all this. And, um, you know, just to speak to the caller, he says, you know, we think he thinks we should call, cut back on our lifestyles again. Um, you know, if you believe that, you're going to lose your case because that's what this is all about. But he does have a point when he talks about other items of environmentalism, which are, for example, pollution and things like Been that. Been there, like, done that. Yeah, acid rain, those kinds of things. None, there were some legitimate nothing, things out Of course, there. but none of that has anything to do with global warming. Nothing has to do with zero, global warming. Right, this zero. is a completely different issue. I was, I was fascinated by, again, Paul Burton. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Paul Burton. Shall we pick on Paul again? Yeah. Common, right. common sense, our best guide, he says on this. And here's what he wrote in the London Free Press on November 28th, speaking about Climate Gate. This story hasn't exactly lit up the front pages, he writes, in the so-called mainstream media, but it's all over the blogosphere where people are calling it Climate Gate. The stolen documents could indicate figures on climate change are tainted, but not enough that it should change any minds about the debate. Whether it will or not is a matter beyond our control. My first question at this point, I'm going, what debate? 
My what, first what question. What debate? <laughs> my first question was: Doesn't he have control of the front page of the Free yeah, Press? Yeah. I, oh, What's he complaining well, about? Well, amazing. <laughs> Listen to what he says. He says, "Such is the nature of life on the modern information highway, where all manner of information is coming at us from all manner of sources, legitimate or otherwise." Meaning that he sees no difference between legitimate information and illegitimate information, because of course he's siding on the illegitimate side, and where stories take on an organic life of their own, he writes. Now, I just have to say, this is exactly the line the Free Press used to justify its false stories about London landlord Elijah Elieff, which brought an innocent man before a human rights tribunal. They use it on so many stories. Oh, it's a story. It just brought itself to life, you know. The story took a life of its own as if there's no writers or minds behind anything that, that put it to print, you know. It's organic. Are trees <laughs> writing this stuff? Because it sure looks like the thinking of a vegetable, I gotta tell you. And then he writes, Meanwhile, the rise of the Internet has led directly to the rise of the conspiracy theory. There you go. Internet equals conspiracy. You End know, of story. Direct. Know, if anybody out there is not using the Internet for their prime source of news, they're not being informed. Exactly. Do not go to the London Free Press, the Globe Mail, the National Post, or any of the mainstream media for your primary source of news because you will be t- your source Although they're will be all tainted. there. All of those groups are there on the, on the Internet as well, though. But he says, uh, he says, few of us are scientists, but enough scientists, the overwhelming majority, in fact, around the world have persuaded most of us we should take climate change seriously. Again, a, a plain false fact. Is there such a thing as a false fact? No, just a falsehood. A falsehood, yes. Yeah. <laughs> For me, at least, he says, climate change may be largely irrelevant. Bingo. Because common sense tells me that spewing poison into the atmosphere, let alone into the water or land, will hurt us one way or the other. So there he mixes issues. Spewing poison, as though anybody's talking poison. about poison. We're talking carbon, about CO2. Carbon CO2 is poison. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to cut my, ha- my footprint in half, my carbon dioxide footprint in half. From now on, Bob, I'm only going to exhale on every second breath. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and we've been sleeping with poison in our beds and oh, sleeping dear. with poison in our homes because we breathe. Oh, my goodness. And trees thrive on CO2. That's how they live. Now, you know, here's a guy who's just argued that, um, you know, obviously this can't be a valid point of view because the majority of scientists, he says, agree with global warming, which is wrong, by the way. But that's what that he uses wrong. as his justification. But get this, in the same day's paper, in the same paper where Burton has just appealed to a, the overwhelming majority to justify a stand is the following story. Quote, Vanishing Sea Ice Stranding Polar Bears by, by uh, Chitna Puxley of the Canadian Press, which reads, quote, One of Canada's top northern researchers, David Barber, who apparently in direct opposition to the majority of, quote, experts around the world who believe the ice is recovering because satellite images showed it expanding, end quote. But no, this one single researcher says no. One guy, and that's the guy that they give the story to, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the ice is, quote, rotten ice, which can't support the weight of the bears. It's rotten. It's got, you know... It's, well, I think that that's a term that yeah. they might use for, like, a slushy kind sure. of ice. Sure. The ice is unable to withstand the battering waves and storms because global warming is rapidly melting it at a rate of 70,000 kilometers each year, he said. Now, oh, here we have... It's a con- summer. Yeah. <laughs> now, here we have a consensus of one, yep. right? But, of course, the climate change is irrelevant since poison is poison, after all. So what they're saying is nothing, facts don't matter, and they have said that. Bruce Cox of, the, of um, one of those groups, I forget which one he's with, one of the the green groups. Uh, might be Greenpeace, but he says, no, facts are irrelevant. What we're trying to do is change people's lifestyle. And uh, and in the same day's paper, again, appears Michael Corrin's editorial with the headline. We're going to hear a bit from him later. Why isn't Climategate the world's biggest story, November 28th? And he writes, 
It should be known as Climate Gate and should be a front-page story in every newspaper. Instead, it has generally been ignored and often deliberately covered up. Bullies, deniers, and frauds. Words that describe the global warming establishment, concludes Corn, And that's uh, basically what I see. I see exactly that. Um, I would call them, Bob, I would call them climate gate deniers. Climate gate deniers. <laughs> well, climate gate has been going on for years and years and years. Started back in the 50s, 40s and 50s. That's when they started figuring out how, what they could do to fight capitalism and freedom and free markets. That's basically what the whole battle is about. And they already know what the next platform will be, too. The next one's going to be water, but we'll have to worry about that a little later on. But right now, I think we're going to take a a break, because what we want to hear, just to to let everyone know, you're going to hear the other side of the story. And uh, here we've got a couple of clips for you. The first one is actually taken from a previous broadcast, Uh, done right here on CHRW featuring Corey Morningstar who of course is one of the city's key environmental activists and her group is also receiving government funding for this kind of stuff that you're going to be hearing now I know this is painful but we have to we have to hear what the other side (laughs) says too every now and then and then on the other side of this we'll hear from Penn and Teller who are going to tell us how carbon credits work so Robert you and I can take a break for five or six minutes and when we come back we will continue the discussion on climate gate. Um, this is a crazy greenwash. We've been talking about a lot about greenwashing now. You have to really be able to um, critically think. Corporations are jumping on the green wagon. It's actually just destroyed the whole meaning of the word. Um, Tim Hortons has been leading the pack in Canada on greenwashing with their um, drive-through campaign. They actually state um, on these. There's one in, in comics. Comics, comics in BC right now. They're actually trying to ban the drive, feature drive-throughs. And so Tim Hortons has gone out there with the same campaign they had in London. Um, if anyone remembers, about a year ago, where they had all their employees show up at the public participation meeting wearing blue shirts, and it was just absolutely crazy. They had kids out in drive-through lineups, getting people to sign petitions not to ban drive-throughs. You know, meanwhile, our emissions are out of control in Ethiopia. Per person, a person creates zero what is it 0.1 tons of emissions per year and in canada we're almost at 20 tons a year so it's absolutely um insane so tim hortons wants people to keep sitting in their cars and they actually tell people it's better to sit in your car and idle than it is to turn it off so they're trying to convince people that an idling car is better for your for the environment than parking your car and walking so pretty bad um the newest one this week that we've uncovered it's um called it's absolutely gross i mean if you see it you'll you have to check it out just because it's so so crazy that's hard to actually believe it's true it's called co2 is green um, contact your senator today. And it's just like the biggest greenwash I've ever seen. Do you want to play it? Yeah, sure. So here's the audio from it. Obviously, radio is not the best visual medium. But here we go. Congress is considering a law that would classify carbon dioxide as pollution. This will cost us jobs. There is no scientific evidence that CO2 is a pollutant. In fact, higher CO2 levels than we have today would help the Earth's ecosystems and support more plant and animal life. Please take action. Contact your senator and congressman today and remind them CO2 is not pollution and more CO2 results in a greener earth. Go to CO2isGreen.com because we all need CO2. 
Yeah, so that's about as disgusting as it gets. So here we have, um, this is a sick attempt to undermine the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's um, recent ruling that CO2 should now be classified as a pollutant because rising levels of the gas in the atmosphere will endanger public health or welfare. and I'm president of Atmosphere Climate Club. Hey, look! That's an SUV, and she's driving it. Now this is an environmentalist we can hang out with. Pedal to the metal, baby! I drive an SUV. Uh, unfortunately, I'd really like a, a, a hybrid, but uh, I drive an SUV right now, and I want to offset my emissions from driving because it contributes to global warming. She couldn't just drive her SUV and enjoy it. There had to be a catch. So what does she do to offset her gas-guzzling ways? I buy carbon credits. And what's a carbon credit? A carbon credit is something that you buy in order to offset your emissions that contribute to global warming. Basically, it's a voluntary guilt fine. In the late Middle Ages, the Catholic Church thought of a diabolical way to bring in more cash. They sent out professional partners to visit the sinful, that is, everybody, and tell them for a bit of cash, their sins would be forgiven. Fork over the cash, and no penance, and no time in purgatory. They called these get-out-of-hell-free cards indulgences, and they sure weren't free. The bigger the sin, the pricier the indulgence. So, suffer eternal agony, cut back on the fun of sinning, or pay the fun tax. These sin credits were a big moneymaker till Martin Luther came along and cried bull. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. What does this whole thing got to do with carbon credits? Any, any idea? Okay, Sid is ready to purchase some carbon credits. Well, this is our Let's website. see how it's done. And uh, at this website, you can calculate your carbon dioxide emissions associated with some of your lifestyle activities. Let's say I drive 20,000 miles per year, and I pick here, let's say it's a midsize SUV that I'm driving, and uh, at the bottom, it'll tell me what the, the uh, driving-related emissions are. And then, of course, if you want, you can buy uh, offsets. For example, you can invest in renewable energy. Renewable energy would include wind power, solar power, um, use of biomass. Other kinds of projects include tree planting, forestation, reforestation. Buying some Birkenstocks for some students at Berkeley. Yeah, yeah, we get it. You know, we love the internet and all, but anyone can build a website. I mean, who runs that website anyway? Well, this is our website, atmosclear.org. Ooh, awkward. So is Sid buying from herself? Nice, she's relieving her guilt and making money at the same time. That's cool, or something. Sid says her website can figure out the exact amount of global warming anyone causes by doing whatever they may be doing. Sid must be the most amazing scientist in the world. Well, I'm not a scientist, but I've been working on global warming since 1990. But this formula your website uses, it's, it's based on some scientific standards, right? There are efforts underway um, in a few different areas to introduce standards. There are very strict oversights, right? There is some oversight available. Not everybody avails themselves to that oversight. So basically, carbon credit companies can make up their own formula for charging people whatever they want. 
Not only that, they can spend the money on whatever project they want. And welcome back. You're listening to CHRW 94.9 FM. What do you think of that, Robert? <laughs> well, I love uh, Ten and Peller, uh, Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller. <laughs> Penn and Teller's show. I was trying to censor myself because mm-hmm. the name of their show you can't say on the air. No, but uh, we know it's Bullfeathers anyways. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, we just heard Corey Morningstar there, and I just have to point out how every single thing she said was either false or totally misleading. First of all, she says corporations going green, quote, has destroyed the whole meaning of the word what? Of green. In other words, as Ayn Rand wrote 50 years ago, the whole green movement is an anti-industrial movement. And there's Cory Morningstar confirming it because uh, for a corporation to do anything green, why wouldn't she be happy about a corporation doing anything? Because they're a corporation. Of course. She's anti-industrial. She says, our emissions are out of control, and here is the most insulting, most dangerous statement. You're going to hear more from this shortly about how many millions of people have been killed by this mentality. She says, a person in Ethiopia creates 0.1 tons of emissions per year. In Canada, we're almost at 20 tons per year, so it's absolutely insane. Now, I think that opinion would rightfully be called insane in and of its own right. Is she saying that we should live like the Ethiopians? That's the only alternative. They live like cavemen. and, and, and it's, it's just terrible. It's just, anyone herders. would even want anyone to live like that. There's obviously no consideration for, for human life at all in any of these considerations. She says, Tim Hortons actually tells people it's better to sit in your car and idle than it is to turn it off. Tim Hortons has never said this. I was, I was personally involved in, uh, in, in this issue. And uh, what they have been saying, it is, it's better to sit in your car and idle rather than turn it off, only to start it up again in a few minutes. And what the Green Movement keeps saying is they, forget, they leave out the start up again in a few minutes. They want you to stay home entirely, leave your car there, don't turn it on, walk in, and then you're, you're, uh, you know, you're basically, uh, then you're guilty of something, right? Or not guilty of something. So that, that's what was said. Um, and by the way, it is true that it is better to sit in your car and idle it if you're going to be turning it on again in a couple of minutes. CO2 is green. Uh, it's, it's absolutely gro- gross, she says, to say that. They want to classify CO2 as a pollutant, which is absolutely <laughs> non-scientific. Higher CO levels are good. You know, she says it results in a greener earth. She, she says that's as disgusting as it gets. I'm going, hasn't she ever seen the CO2 come out of the back of a dryer of people who have gas dryers? Uh, my sister has one on her house, and the vines around the, the, the exhaust there are growing profusely. You can tell that life just loves CO2. A uh, hundred million years ago, there was 20 times the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere as there is now, and that was a lush period of uh, the paleo history of this planet. Right. And uh, so, you know, and so what would my motivation for saying the same thing, you know? Like, I've been saying this about CO2 for years and years, and I, did, I was saying it before the Green Movement came along. So uh, I don't know what my, my motivations must be. And then she says, because of rising levels of CO2 in the atmosphere will endanger public health and welfare. This is also not correct. In fact, you're going to be hearing about that more shortly. CO2 is harmless and uh, what I found was interesting that not a single word factor or idea uttered by Morningstar in that aforementioned clip not a single word, mind you, was factual, true, or logical it was just pure mindless stuff emotional self-indulgence what was, you know, what a sad, sad thing to be saying. I understand we have a caller on the on the line, um, we'll put him through. Yep. Hello, caller Hello. Hello um, I know you have some adjective to um, CO2, but have you ever been on a bicycle and riding behind a bus? 
Oh, yeah. And this thing is spewing out this black toxic gas that's, you know, it just penetrates right into your heart. Do you know? Do you understand that that's not CO two? That's not CO two. No, I realize that's not CO two, but this is what really we're fighting. You know something? It's funny you say that because when I'm going to be talking about LTC in the next one, I'm going to point out how the single biggest polluter in any municipality is its public transit system. It pollutes not only on its own in terms of the vehicles used, it also creates more idling pollution from cars that are forced to go around, move around. It, it's just it's just obvious. I bet you the, the smog just clears from every city as soon as the buses go on strike. I think we're going to agree with you, caller. That's, uh, you know, standing behind a bus that's idling is pretty uh, a noxious thing, but that's not really the CO2 that we're talking about today. Right. Uh, again, no, I, I realize that, and I know CO2 is plant food, but when you mix it with a whole bunch of your little particulates, and you have these little particulates, and they penetrate into your lungs, right into your bloodstream, and right to your heart. Well... What you're referring to, of course, is called pollution, pollution which yeah. is an entirely different thing. And this is the well, danger. It's not like it doesn't come out of everybody's exhaust pipe. Not saying it doesn't, but it's very, very minimal. And here's the irony. Uh, more comes out, in, for example, in the example cited by Corey Morningstar, when people go into a drive-in and they turn the car on and off. All, most of that pollutant for a car, buses are different, uh, comes out of the car in the first couple of minutes every time you restart it because the computers have to recalibrate. Okay, caller, shall we carry well, on? I agree with some of your story, but I don't agree with it totally. Okay, fair enough. All right. Bye. Thank you. Not sure which party was not agreeing with. I thought we were agreeing on everything. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Robert, you had some interesting points that you were about to bring up there. Well, just after the break, uh, at the bottom of the hour, we're going we're to hear a little clip from uh, Christopher Moncton. Uh, Christopher Moncton of Benchley, who, uh, Benchley, who has become a central figure in this Climate Gate scandal. And I think it was only uh, fair that we sort of preface... Um, or talk about the actual scandal itself, because you're not going to get the information from the London Free Press or any of the mainstream media. And what I have is in front of me is a is a document that Bench Brenchley um, or Christopher Monckton just published, November 30th, Monday, um, because this uh, climategate thing has been going on for about a month, but the media, the mainstream media, have only picked up on it. It has been on the internet for uh, several weeks now, and. Um, there's a lot of information. Perhaps we can talk can, about it after the break. Let's because do I know that, that we're after we hear clips, yeah. from Christopher Moncton. We've got a couple of longer-than-usual clips here because we think you really need to hear this. And uh, the first one, we're going to be going to break at bottom of the hour now. But first, before we do that, you'll hear a clip taken from uh, CTS. And you can hear the whole, and get the whole video, by the way. I would recommend doing that. You can go to ctstv.com and look for their broadcast of Michael Corrin with Lord Christopher Moncton, from which this has been excerpted. It's an amazing interview. When Robert and I both first watched it, we said, why don't we just play that whole darn thing and, play the whole, and forget coming in? But in any case, we did take a few clips out of it. And when we come back on the other side, we'll hear from Penn and Teller again, and then Robert will take us on with uh, Moncton's further comments. So we'll take it away now. Forty years ago, Jackie Kennedy read Rachel Carson's The Silent Spring. Mm. And the thesis of this book was that because of DDT and other chemicals we were pouring into the atmosphere, the world was going to be so grossly polluted that every species other than humankind would die and then eventually we would die too and it was all going to be terrible. 
And Jackie Kennedy read this and shivered and plucked at the sleeve of her husband, who was then President of the United States, and said, look, you've got to do something about this. We've got to save the planet from DDT. And so uh, Kennedy appointed a friend of his who was an environmental nincompoop to take charge of the Environment Protection Agency. Result, unfortunately, they banned DDT. It, this was copied worldwide because the left got going and said, aha, you know, we can, we, can, we can show who's boss, we can ban DDT. And of course a lot of them were in, in league with uh, people who were producing chemicals other than DDT which they wanted to replace so they were making money out of it. The usual unfortunate money part story and glory story. So they banned DDT. Now DDT is in fact safe enough you can eat it by the tablespoonful. I wouldn't recommend it but you can do that. It won't hurt you if you do. It's completely harmless to humans. It's completely harmless to bird life and animals. The only thing it's harmful to is the Anopheles mosquito, which is the vector that carries the uh, falciparum parasite that causes malaria, and to the Aedes aegypti mosquito, which carries the yellow fever parasite. It's fatal, and really fatal, to both of those. And the guy who invented it, who was German, got the Nobel Prize because before DDT was introduced, a million people a year around the world, nearly all of them children, were dying of malaria. It was one of the biggest killers. DDT came along and deaths from malaria fell to 50,000. We were on the point of wiping it out. When the left got in on the act, and it's exactly the same people, the Environmental Defense Fund, you know, people who've got hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank, goodness knows where they get it from. Foreign governments, possibly. I don't know. I haven't looked. But it's certainly an alarming question. Are internal movements being backed by China or India so that they won't have to compete with us for natural resources because we'll have shut our economies down? It's, an, it's a question that the security services, I hope, are looking at because it certainly worries me. But there was the Environmental Defence Fund. It came in and said, right, we're going to um, uh, try and press for a ban on DDT. They succeeded. The number of deaths went back up from 50,000 a year to a million a year and it stayed there for 40 years, while the likes of me were chirping away saying, this is killing millions, it ought to be stopped, what on earth is the World Health Organization doing? And eventually, just three years ago, on the 15th of September 2006, Dr. Arata Kochi of the World Health Organization said, right, he said, in this field, politics usually predominates. Now we are going to take a stand on the science and the data. He ended the ban on DDT and declared that it would once again be the front line of defense against the mosquito. Forty million people died. Forty mi children. Because Jackie Kennedy read a silly book. Yep. And her foolish husband bought into it. And then the entire international left came in on the act. And that was what did the damage. And so the problem is that you have this political faction which likes to show who's boss. That's the characteristic of the left. They're, they are instinctive interventionists. And I know this is a, a little a much of a political point, but it is unfortunately true that it was they who pushed the DDT ban. It was they who, to this day, will say that David Suzuki and others who, uh, who advocated this ban, and David Suzuki to this day will tell you he regards this as one of the most successful campaigns he ever conducted. That killed 40 million people, nearly all of them children, and it took 40 years before this decision could be reversed. Why? Because we had to wait until all the people responsible for the original decision had either retired or died and were no longer in the way of doing the decent thing. And, and because they thought it was harmful to, to people, to animals? They didn't think any such thing. It was purely to show who was boss. There was, really? no, there was never any scientific case for this.
And it's the same with global warming. There's no scientific case for this either. It's the same people trying to assert themselves in the same way, and this time they have succeeded yet again in getting the entire class politique. since we saw Al Gore. Hey Al, we want to know Al. He's so dreamy. I forgot our question. We wanted to answer the question, how well is Al Gore doing at uh, walking the walk? Oh yeah, that was it. Drew Johnson, president of the Tennessee Center for Policy Research. What we found through public records request is that Al Gore uses 20 times more electricity than the average American. That's right, Al Gore, the greatest American eco-hero, is an energy hog. In 2006, Gore's 20-room mansion used over 191,000 kilowatts, as opposed to the average American who uses under 11,000 kilowatts. Every month, Al uses more electricity than most people do every 17 months. So Al isn't as worried as he says we should be. When Drew's research became public in 2007, Gore's people didn't deny it. Instead, they said he was in the process of installing solar panels. And recently, he replaced some of his incandescent bulbs with fluorescent ones. What a martyr. And he also buys carbon credits. But guess what? Al Gore owns the, the company that he supposedly buys his carbon credits from. Yup. Remember Sid and her carbon credit company? It's small potatoes. Gore pays himself to make up for the damage he admits he's doing to the environment. Really, no kidding. Al Gore started that private company, Generation Investment Management, in 2004, two years before his Oscar-winning movie. So Al makes money when people buy carbon credits through his company. And what has the public reaction been to Drew digging up this, uh, I guess we have to say it, inconvenient truth? What we got were about a dozen death threats and thousands of, of emails. You people, each and every one of you, will burn in hell. And your offspring will be burned alive on this earth for all that you've done to discount global warming. Don't you right-wing hillbilly jackasses have anything better to do than worry about Al Gore's energy bill? You will never be half the man Al Gore is. For environmentalists, the environment is a religion. And Al Gore to them is a prophet. So it's really as though by exposing Al Gore's home energy bills by completely legal and legitimate manners, um, we attacked their profit. Nobody would go so far as to call Al Gore a prophet. I think Al Gore is like a modern day prophet in a sense. Shut up. For some of the poorest people on the planet, our being green can affect their survival. How? Al Gore and his green followers are trying to pass new regulations and carbon taxes that will end up raising the global price of fuel. Fuel these people need to cook or pump water. Fuel to get their crops to market, their kids to school or to a doctor. When you talk about raising the price of energy to them, you're, you're going to kill people. Just like the environmentally induced ban on DDT years ago resulted in tens of millions of deaths. But still, all you have to do is just mention Al Gore's name, and people will say and do just about anything. Al Gore's doing really great work and important work. 
I think the work that Al Gore is doing to save the planet is so important. Al Gore's passion is really inspiring. I think Al Gore is a great American hero. He is truly one of the most awe-inspiring people of my generation. Al Gore, yeah, he has a lot of guts. Jesus, with comments like that, you'd think Al Gore had actually done something other than a PowerPoint slideshow exaggerating the dangers of global warming. Here he is testifying before Congress. And our world faces a true planetary emergency. But not everyone agrees. This is John Coleman, and yep, he actually was the weatherman on Good Morning America back in the 70s. Some of you may remember me. I'm also the man who founded the Weather Channel, and I'm the man who has announced that global warming is a scam. Now here's a chart that tells the whole story. Here's mankind's use of fossil fuels over the last hundred years, uh, our use of Coal and oil and gas. Yeah, yeah, great. But is it raining in Acapulco? See, as soon as we finish this show, we're heading down. Oh, sorry, sorry. Thought you were done. Notice that the temperatures stay steady, warm up, cool off, and warm up again. And that the solar energy through uh, the solar cycles is absolutely in concert with the temperatures. And what has happened with the burning of fossil fuels doesn't seem to have a thing to do with it. End of story. That's just what it is. It's the sun. I said that on the first show. I said it on the second, on the third, fourth, fifth, up to the 20th. Nobody's listening. You know, it's the first question I ask my first guest on this issue. I said, listen, everybody can see that the polar ice caps are melting on Mars, on other places where we know that they're, they're being affected. Isn't it rather obvious it's the sun? Why isn't it just an open and shut case? Well, of course, because it's not about the science at all. It's about politics. And by the way, in response to all the deaths that have been attributed to all these environmental campaigns, one of their great leaders, and I forget his name, but I quoted him on a previous show, so you can look it up, read it out of the paper. His response was, well, that's one way of getting rid of them. Really? Unbelievable. So that's the kind of mentality. It's a very anti-life mentality. We've been saying that all along. And, you know, carbon is life. So tell us about the whole, you know, we haven't really said what the scandal is, this whole climate gate thing and what it's about. And uh, you've got some really interesting stuff there, yeah, I'll Robert. just read something from uh, Caught Green Handed, subtitled Cold Facts About the Hot Topic of Global, Global Temperature Change After the Climate Gate Scandal. It's by Christopher Monkton of Brenchley, dated November 30th, 2009. Same guy we just heard from, right? Yes. Yeah. Now... For those who aren't familiar with it, and a lot of people won't be because it's usually buried deep in the papers, uh, this whole climate gate scandal, um, there is a University of East Anglia in Great Britain who has, um, or which has a climate research or climactic research unit headed by a Professor Phil Jones. And someone apparently inside this unit found data and emails which cast aspersions on Dr. Jones, Michael Mann, and a number of other climatologists in the world, central climatologists, by the way, very influential in publication and influencing the United Nations policies on climate change. In other words, the very core people about this entire climate change issue. He found emails bandied back and forth between a number of these re researchers which put into doubt everything they've been saying. Now, I'm going to start reading from Christopher Monckton's uh, pamphlet, which you can find on the internet, by the way. Just type in Christopher Monckton, M-O-N-C-K-T-O-N, and uh, caught green-handed. I'm sure you'll find that it's right out there. 
By the way, if you want, any computer-savvy person can find those emails online, as I did. I actually read a number of the emails. It's very difficult, actually, because they're all... <laughs> They're not uh, formatted in any no. form or in any way, but they are accurate. And by the way, Dr. Phil Jones has corroborated that these are legitimate emails. They are the actual real thing. Anyway, Moncton goes on. He says... Funny, I didn't read any of that in the free press. <laughs> no, I'm not surprised. Anyway, the unnamed hero, quotes uh, Moncton, the unnamed hero of Climacate, after months of work gathering emails, computer code, and data, quietly sent a 61-megabyte compressed file from one of the university servers to an obscure public message board on the Internet with a short covering note to the effect that the climate was too important to keep the material secret and that the data from the university would be available for a short time only. He had caught the world's political scientific community green-handed, yet his first attempts to reveal the highly profitable fraud and systematic corruption at the very heart of the UN's climate panel and among the scientists most prominent in influencing its prejudiced, prejudiced and absurdly doom-laden reports, had failed. He had made the mistake of sending the data file to the mainstream news media, which had also profited for decades by fostering the global warming scare and by generally denying anyone who disagreed with the official viewpoint and platform. The whistleblower's data file revealed, for the first time, the innermost workings of the tiny international clique of climate scientists centered on climate research unit at East Anglia that has been the prime mover in telling the world that it is warming at an unprecedented rate and that humankind is responsible. The gallant whistleblower, says Moncton, now faces a police investigation at the instigation of the university authorities, desperate to look after their own and to divert allegations of criminality elsewhere. His crime, he had revealed what many had long suspected. I'll just go over a couple of the points because we've got to take a break in a second. What he says is the team had conspired in an attempt to redefine what is and not peer-reviewed science for the sake of excluding results that did not fit what they and the politicians with whom they were closely linked wanted the UN's climate panel to report. They had tampered with their own data so as to conceal inconsistencies and errors. They had emailed one another about using a trick for the sake of concealing a decline in temperatures in the climate. They had expressed dismay at the fact that contrary to all their predictions, global temperatures had not risen in any statistically significant sense for 15 years. They called it a travesty, by the way. They had interfered with the process of peer review itself by leaning on journals to get their friends rather than independent sciences to review their papers. They had successfully leaned on friendly journal editors to reject papers reporting results inconsistent with their political viewpoint. It goes on and on, Bob, but the, the litany of allegations, none of which, by the way, have really been proven except for the fact that Phil Jones has just stepped down as the head of the Climatic Research Unit pending investigation by the University of East Anglia. But I encourage everybody this out there... This stuff's almost as bad as Tiger Woods. <laughs> <laughs> I think they made up that Tiger Woods story just to conceal this fact. But yeah. this is, a, this is a, an issue of global proportions, and I think that people should go out there and listen because it's costing us trillions of dollars and our freedom. I'm glad you mentioned that because I want people to understand that, and, I, and I've come to this conclusion a long time ago, if you think a lot of the problems out in our economy out there, just because of banking, uh, you know, faux pas, 
green has a lot to do with it. In fact, um, I saw Michael Corrin talking about these these concepts of burying carbon under the ground. He calls them a trillion-dollar black hole, a sinkhole. And uh, just unbelievable. They're, they're literally destroying wealth, which Christopher Moncton said in another part of his um, interview. And, of course, uh, we're not dealing so much with the science today as with the politics. The science I've done to death, I've had scientists on this very program who have completely, of course, they're, they're called deniers. But... Um, Got to take a quick break now, not that quick maybe, but what we're going to hear again is again Lord Christopher Monckton speaking to Michael Corn from that same interview. This time, carrying on what we just heard from Penn and Teller who were talking about Al Gore and Al Gore's companies and how he pays himself credits. Well, Christopher Monckton gives us a few more facts on that fact and uh, it's way worse than anything any of us could even imagine. We'll be back right after this. Why do we hear so often that this huge number of scientists signed a de- declaration saying there is a crisis? Why would people not be telling the truth? Is there malice involved, money involved, agenda involved? The simple answer is money, power and glory. Let's take Al Gore. Al Gore was a failed presidential candidate. He'd not been a particularly distinguished vice president. He was hated by more or less everybody he came into contact with because he's an arrogant little so-and-so. He's not a nice man. And he was really um, at the end of his career until he reinvented himself. Mm And from being worth around $2 million when he came out of the Senate, he is now worth $200 million. And that's not just through charging $300,000 a time, which I know the Singapore government is going to pay him next May to go and speak there, because I'm going too, but they're not paying me anything. They want to make a point by having me going free while he goes for $300,000 and they're going to announce it. I don't think he'll like that very much. (laughs) But the point is, he's making a lot of money, not only out of speaking, but also he's set up a thing called Generation Investment Management. It's it's London-based. You couldn't do it in in, uh, Canada because you're very well regulated financially here. It's not an accident that you don't have a banking collapse as we have. And there's no way he could have set this up in Canada. The rules wouldn't have allowed it. He got away with it in London. He's just taken, for instance, the church commissioners of the Church of England for $200 million in so-called investment in so-called green, so-called technologies. And, of course, every so-called green technology is going to hell in a handcart. It's not actually paying its way. These are the worst kinds of investments for financial return that you can possibly make. So he has a very, very large, very, very direct financial interest in making absolutely sure that everybody ends up believing this global warming scare because only then will governments subsidize the green technologies to the point where they pay because they don't pay their own way. They have to be subsidized in order to pay like windmills for instance or solar panels. And so he is hoping as are many others right across the fossil fuel industries, right across the carbon trading industry, which will be bigger than all the world's stock exchanges, provided governments get behind it at Copenhagen and push it, then all of these people who have invented this scare will become prodigiously rich and they will also be the darlings of the talk show hosts and the darlings of the media largely dominated by the faction which they identify themselves with. So of course you can see very strong incentives not only for the politicians but also for the scientists who mingle with politicians, the politicized scientists Mm. to go along with this and you don't need very many bad pennies to turn the apple cart sour if there isn't too many mixing of metaphors. And so what is happening is you've got, as best I can make it out, perhaps two dozen genuinely bad scientists who are knowingly 
distorting data. It wouldn't be fair to them to name them because they can't answer back as Al Gore can. But there's clear evidence and compelling evidence, which I give in my slideshows and presentations on this, of deliberate tampering with the data, for instance, to exaggerate the, the extent to which the world has warmed in the last hundred years, to abolish the medieval warm period when the, the overwhelming um, results in the literature show that it was real, warmer and, uh, and, and uh, global, warmer than the present and global. So for all these, these dishonesties that are going on, um, there are people profiting by this, these dishonesties. just caught my eye in the headlines. Right? Oh, shut up, David. <laughs> just gonna say I don't that... want to hear it. I don't want to hear your jokes about the news when I'm trying to sit here and having a nice rest. No, it's just that my eye was caught. Jet, by... on a panel show. You've got a big boil of topical satire and he's lancing. No, no, I'm just interested in world affairs and at the same time, very, very witty. Anyway, I wasn't going to do a joke. I, I was just going to say that my eye was caught by this whole scandal in America. Ooh, the scandal in America. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, that must be the biggest scandal since Watergate Gate. Since what? Well, I think the American government hasn't been this screwed since, well, I think you have to go all the way back to Watergate Gate. Watergate Gate? Isn't it just Watergate? No, that would mean it was just about water. No, it was a scandal, or gate, at the suffix gate, that's what you do with a scandal, involving the Watergate Hotel, so it's called the Watergate Scandal, or Watergate Gate. But doesn't the term gate, meaning a scandal, come from Watergate? What? Take the last four letters of a previous scandal or hotel and add it on to all future scandals? That can't be the system. I think it is. Well, what if there's a scandal about water? What do you call that? Well, you'd call it Watergate. Um... Aquagate? It's not great, is it? No, it's not. Aquagate is going to be the next scandal after this green stuff, because that's the next platform on which the movement's planning to do its anti-capitalist stuff. By the way, we had a caller on the line there who said he had a lot to tell us, so he's going to email us instead. And if you have to have that email uh, address or don't have it handy, it is just write chrw at gmail.com if you've got any comments about today's show. Robert, you had another comment there with regards to Mr. Monkton there, did you? No, I think, well, actually, there's so much here, Bob, but um, what I would encourage people to do is just go online, find that document. It's at www.scienceandpublicpolicy.org. You'll find the entire document there. As well, um, if they go to ctstv.org, which is um, the show upon which uh, we are hearing a number of clips today from Moncton, uh, the Michael Korn Show, you can actually watch the entire show there online. And uh, because he has some fascinating things to say, uh, I'll just give you one. For example, um, in order to reduce the world's temperature by only one degree, we'd have to forego two trillion tons of carbon. And in order to do that, which doesn't even do the trick anyway, it's just that's no. all just based on the false theory. It's a false theory, yeah. yeah. But the fact is Make that believe if we had that, Star Trek yeah, okay. to do that you'd actually have to not use any carbon ever ne not make any plastics not drive your car not use trucks not use planes not use boats not use anything for 20 years in other words we had to be sitting in a cave in the dark for 20 years 
just to reduce the amount of carbon it would take to reduce the temperature by one degree. Not, Nonsense. Not only that, you know, maybe it was a lucky thing that when I was a kid I had an interest in astronomy or something because I got a perspective of the world floating in space somehow and how vulnerable we are to the slightest space breeze, if you want to call it that. Um, the fact that even a little a plume shooting out of the sun 93 million miles away would affect our, our weather so much was that's harder to understand than it is to understand the smoke coming out of the back of a bus. Mm-hmm. That's, that's blowing in your face. You can understand that. And that's why I think the, the biggest thing that the green movement has going for it is confusing CO2 and carbon and all that stuff with what, what is properly called pollution, you know, the, the real stuff. The, was like um, carbon monoxide would be a pollutant. It is. It is a toxin. Yes. And, and these are poisonous things to us. Now, mind you, anything's poison to you if you haven't got the right mix of air. You know, you always hear people say, well, if you, if you locked somebody in a garage with nothing but CO2, they'd suffocate. Of course they would, because if all they had was CO2, they wouldn't have any oxygen. <laughs> it doesn't make it a, a toxin. It doesn't make it a toxin. Nor is nitrogen a toxin, which is 78% of the Earth's atmosphere. It's completely neutral. So, But if you were locked in a room with just nitrogen, I don't think you'd last too long, would you, without your oxygen? So it's the same thing. And and to believe for a second that CO2 is a problem when... I was brought brought up believing you got to have more of this in the atmosphere, more, 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 put out all the CO2. And, and it's laughable when you think that they have all these um, fire extinguishers that are based on CO2. Um, by the way, I watched the movie The Blob with uh, Steve McQueen. <laughs> I told you about this last week. Classic. And, and I was shocked that at the end of it, what saves the day is CO2. <laughs> and they, they, they all get out their, their fire extinguishers, get the CO2, get the CO2 to the kill, cars to kill this monster. Cars. Oh, there were. It's actually not a bad movie, but one, one, <laughs> if you like the B type of movies. But we can see what's coming. You know, water, Watergate gate, I thought that was funny because we're going to be uh, seeing more of that. Water will be the issue. Maude Barlow and the Council of Canadians are pushing this issue. They're opposed to the privatization of water. Uh, guess who their local rep is? Corey Morningstar, of course. That's why we're seeing water bottle bans and only bans of bottles with water in them. <laughs> They're all plastic, but it's opposed to water. And people just can't make sense of all these insane regulations and bans. And it only makes sense when you realize it's got nothing to do with those things at all. It's just power-hungry people going out, wanting to control other people. They don't care about the science. As they admit, they admit it over and over and over again. Again, this is the 20th hour of me just telling you this. And so if, you, if you're one of those people that's being picked on by your friends, you tell them about this website, www.justrightmedia.org. Org. From there, they can find out all kinds of other sites to go to, the ones that Robert and I also recommended. And basically, I guess the big thing is we have to educate people about what actually makes the climate tick. Would certainly an issue that's not going to go away for us, and we'll certainly be picking up on um, Climate Gate Part 2 probably early in the new year. What do you this, think, Robert? This has to be talked about continually, Bob, um, just to counteract the, uh, the lies that are being disseminated out there. It, uh, it's remarkable, and of course, there's a bigger picture behind it. Well, I think that's it for us today. I think we've got to get out of here before there's another gate of another sort being closed on us. <laughs> and that's the gate of time, the space-time continuum. I'm, I'm working on that one. I'm trying to get around that one somehow. So uh, I guess that's it for this week. Hey, Bronwyn, we're done? Okay. Uh, and we hope you'll again join us next week when, of course, we want you to be right all the time until you come back next week. Take care. Fade into color. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright 
And uh, now a word from a, a man who claims he can forecast the weather simply by looking at the sky, studying meteorological charts and taking paragraph readings. Uh, good evening. Now, is this a, a gift you were born with? Uh, no, no. I went to meteorological college when I was 16. I spent four years there and then started work at the meteorological office where I've been for the last uh, 20 years. I see, yes. And, and just by that, you can tell what the weather will be like in two or three days ahead? Uh, well, I also studied the uh, current isometric charts and the new weather satellites are a great help. <laughs> and I suppose these satellites whiz around the world sending messages back to Earth which tell us what the weather's going to be like. Oh, yes. But don't you find that a lot of people are going to say this is just a lot of old wives' tales? Uh, well, no, we can be fairly accurate. I mean, isn't it just like people who say that if you get a, a couple of jet engines and some wings, you can fly? Yes, well, I suppose it is. Well, maybe one day when we're all flying around in the air, you'll be able to use your charts and weather satellites to make sure it's nice weather for us. Well, that's one of our main functions, aviation meteorology. Yes. I see. Well, thank oh, you, sorry, Mr Tyndall, who this. claims he can tell what the weather's going to be like by meteorology. Do I go out this one? <laughs>